Good morning, everybody. My name is Larry Jacobs. Welcome to Monday. It is Monday, February. What is it? The 19th of uh, February. And uh, happy President's Day. What can I say? Okay, we're doing a show today with a teacher who, I'm Dr. Dr. Marianne Hasso is my guest, and she's the author of several books on the subject of supporting multilingual learners in the classroom, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And she's a teacher. So this was a good day for us to do the podcast because she has a day off. Okay, and she's also up at 6 a.m. So I appreciate that. It's 9 a.m. here in Maine and where she is out in Victorville, California. Okay, it's only 6 a.m. So Marianne, I'm going to bring you on in just a couple of seconds. It's going to be a really nice show, and I appreciate you being here. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. That's A-C-E-D.org. That's the home website of our American Consortium for Equity in Education, which we are very, very concerned about. And if you go over to ace-ed.org, you'll be able to see all the things we do. Our magazine, which is called Equity and Access, uh, all the podcasts are over there. Our Equity Awards program is over there, plus a ton of other news that our publisher, Maya Appleby, keeps up so that uh, the people go over there and do it. And by the way, everything we do over there is free for you, so please go over check it out over at a-ed.org. And without enough of me blabbing, it's 6 in the morning in California. For my guest, good morning, Mary Ann's Larry here. Good morning. Uh, I just want to say thank you very much for having me on. Believe me, it's my pleasure, okay? And I, let me give you a really good introduction here. Believe me, and I appreciate you coming on. I really do. you got some great insights. You're a high school English teacher. You've written, from what I can gather, at least three books, okay? You're a public speaker. You're an expert on multilingual education. You've been a, a, a college professor and will probably be one again. And you also teach English, as I mentioned, but at Victor Valley, which is Victorville, California, Victor Valley Union High School District, which is about an hour and a half east of L.A. How was that for an introduction? No. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. Right. How long have you been teaching Victor Valley? Uh, it'll be 17 years at that wow. district. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you are in, you're teaching English, right? Correct. Traditional, traditional English, but it sounds to me, and this, look, we're going to get into this, okay? Describe, I'm, I'm just curious about this, describe the Victor Valley High School demographic, because there must be a lot of kids in there of Latino descent, whatever the case may be. How's, what's the demographics, linguistically, so to speak, of the district? It, it is mixed. Uh, Victor Valley Union High School District is in a rural, sort of urban area, so it is very culturally oh. diverse. We have a mix of Latino students, uh, multilingual learners, um, African American students, Asian American students. So it is very, it is very culturally diverse. That's um, right. That's, that's, that's I got to ask you this. I, I looked because you, know, you just said something that struck me. I looked at a picture on the, on the uh, internet of Victorville. And it was pretty much, it looked like, uh, typical. I've been out there, but never to Victorville, but out in the desert of California, east of L.A., and it's pretty flat, it's desert-like, and the mountains are in the background. And you just said it was yeah. kind of urban, and I thought that was kind of interesting that you used the word urban. Is it, is it, does it have an urban feel at all? It looked to me like it had a fairly rural, small town. Yeah, it, it's, it's a, it, it is growing. Um, but it is, it is, yeah, it's very rural, small, but it is sort of, uh, like I mentioned, it, it's a growing sort of, there well, is an urban feel sure. to it in some Good. some pockets of it. 
That's good. That's good. And I love that as California pushes east, as the, the cities along the coast push east into the desert, because I've watched that over for a long, long time now, how those towns like Victorville, I'm sure, have grown and grown and grown. I remember yes. going out there in the 80s, and not to Victorville, but out to Lake Temecula and all that, and there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. And now I know these are big places, so I find it interesting demographically that these, these changes are happening over there. Okay? Yeah. And now, I, before we get into the, the nitty-gritty here, I just want you to say that I have it linked here to Roman and Littlefield Publishing. But Marianne has written three books, and I'm going to just say the titles, Understanding and Improving How K-12 Multilinguals Are Taught, okay, Supporting supporting Multilinguals, okay, Uh, Research-Based Bilingual Instruction, The Impact of Multiple Modalities, I love that, in a K-12 English Learner Classroom, all right, and also The Struggles of Minority English learners, how learner feedback and improving the skills are all from Roman and Littlefield, and you can go over there and, and check it out. What what got you interested in all this, Mary? Are you there? I mean, you're an ES, basically, you're an ESL teacher. Um, yeah, I, the thing about my uh, interest in this is that, number one, I started out teaching English learners. And I didn't know anything about it at the time. Um, so I wanted to do research and investigation on it. And when I was doing my PhD dissertation, I was thinking of topics. And I'm like, this is perfect for me because yeah, this, is. Is, this is my demographic. Um, and so I started investigating. And uh, I was really interested in, uh, in the area because, you know, I was always told you know, teach them English only, you know, that's it, nothing else, you know, when you're teaching English learners. But I'm like, wait a minute, this is kind of hindering to them because they come. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, (laughs) these kids are coming from, you know, homes, that they're comfortable in, languages that they're comfortable speaking in, and yeah. here we are trying to force them into, you know, a you know, a square and that's not what they're used to. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, how to sort of mesh, you know, how how do we teach them in, in what they need to know to, to manage and navigate academic life and then and then keep them, you know, comfortable, not losing their, their native tongue culture and right. whatnot and so that that's where my interest stem from yeah and it's, it's how many how many kids do you teach on a daily basis what, what's what's uh, are you the only ESL um, teacher at 30. school what I'm not I'm I don't currently teach ESL but now they ah. sort of mix them in so oh, I good. know the students that are <laughs> English learners and multilingual learners so now I can that, kind of help them and help them navigate and, and and I hope everybody at the school district and other districts when we're done start reading your book so they don't uh, so they do it right and get these kids that are in that are in the same classes together and make it yes. work okay and, and let, I mean yes. it's really really important by the way just so you know this my wife was an ESL teacher for years okay, okay. oh that's wonderful so, so, so I kind of know it she she doesn't do it anymore but she did it for years okay and uh, right. 
that kind of she got she had kind of masters in reading, but it was an emphasis on ESL that from University of New Hampshire. I can't remember how all that came about, but that was where her interest was, etc. So let's talk about this, okay? Because school districts across the country, it's not just California, not just Arizona, not just Texas. Okay, mm-hmm. school districts all over the country are facing this this challenge, okay, of teaching kids who come from another language. So what do school districts and teachers okay need to do? to support the multilingual kids in in their classroom when we're talking K-12 here? Well, first of all, there there is an inequity uh, of, like, of curriculum for students. So they give, you know, the highest quality curriculum, you know, for the highest performing students, the English-only students. So we need to be able to make things accessible for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, equitable assessments in a K-12 education is a pressing concern because, you know, yes, it uh, is. students that are, you know, of, of multilingual backgrounds don't get the same type of assessments as English-only students. A lot of times the assessments and the curriculum is a lot harder for the English, for the multilingual students. Sure. As opposed to the English-only uh, the English-only students, um, dual-language teachers who possess expertise with multilingual learners um, and are often bilingual themselves also help. You know, so when they're hiring, uh, it is probably best to hire you know multilingual teachers that can not only understand the backgrounds of these students but also and uh, communicate with them. Uh, alternative assessment formats can help as well. So not giving, you know, not giving students one way of, of doing tests or doing assignments. Um, you know, they give them different options for completing mm-hmm. things. They can do portfolios. They can do presentations. They can translate assignments into, you know, so they have the English. They can they can respond in English and respond in their home language. Um, to showcase their understanding. I have to say this, language matters, but so does academics. Okay, they Correct. want to get the facts. Okay, it's that simple. Sometimes we forget that, that the language takes precedence over the academics when you're dealing with these kids. Okay, but that's not yeah. the case. Okay, they are. Just because you don't speak English doesn't mean you don't have a brain. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, it's yes. it's, it's that simple. But my que- then my question, and I, you may have even ta- I don't know, but you may have even taught this in higher ed. Okay, how are we doing? How, and and you, you I mean you teach at Victor Valley. Okay, when the teachers have multilingual kids in their class, let's say the history teacher, eleventh grade history, has kids who have a heavy Latino background, Spanish, whatever, Portuguese. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how do, do they come to you and ask you what's going on? How's, how's their understanding of how to teach them just in your own school? And that's, that's, a, that's an example of every school in the country. School's no different. Uh, well, there's a lot of dismissiveness, to be honest with you. It's like these kids are failing. They're not doing mm. the work. They're not doing, you know, this. But I don't know, like, what is the teacher doing to really, like, differentiate the instruction to make things accessible you know how to make things how to be flexible with delivering the assignments to the student or giving them options 
So that's where I start, like, wondering what the teacher is doing to help the student understand exactly. the material. Well, well, that was going to be my next question. What is the teacher doing, and do they even know what to do? That, that's another problem. Um, I mean, yes. you know, we're asking people, and it's like, you know what it's like? It's like the pandemic when suddenly everybody had to teach remotely, and nobody knew how to do that. Okay? Right. We're just asking people to do something that nobody knows how to do. All right? And it's the same thing here, if I may. You know, we're asking them to accommodate, which is important, their students who teach another language. But how do they even do that? Who's helping them? Where do they learn that? Is anybody learning it? I can go on with these questions. Help me, Marianne. At the district level, they do provide professional development for teaching English learners. Um, but that also depends on you know, the type of the school, you know, are there a lot of English learners in this particular school? So what's happening is, like, they're, they're sort of sending certain kids off to other schools, and the, the other kids are, like, at the highest performing school. So they're trying to, like, it just depends on the school environment, but professional development, ensuring that the teachers are getting different strategies for helping these students. Exactly. Um, so, so that's helpful, uh, but also it's it is you know there it is difficult you know to manage you know the behavior the academics and and so we we our district is slowly sort of changing in how we deliver the professional development and who is delivering the professional development is it a person I hope that you are is, I hope you are Victorville <laughs> no <laughs> not not there. <laughs> Not yet, but but I'm trying. Uh, but I, I am, you know, sharing my expertise all over the country. So yeah, well, well you well, you should be and and the, the, the targeting home base and then, then going going further yes. because I mean they got a a PhD you okay who yes. who's written three books on the subject okay and you'll work with other school districts of course always you know or speak at a convention or whatever the case may be okay. But they've got to take advantage of this, and so does every other district, about what, what you do and what you, what you bring you. to the table. I mean, it, it, it's very important. And, again, my, yes. I'm a little I'm versed in it because of my wife's background. But it's, it's, to me, it's, it's very important. And, and, and it's, it's our responsibility in two ways, to the kids and also to the community, to teach these kids and understand that just because they don't speak English, okay, they are just as intelligent as any other kid. All right. And oh, that's yeah. a real challenge. And it's a challenge, if I may, as the, as the country becomes more and more diverse linguistically for education schools to include this as a course, just a generic course. OK, for teachers on how to just go about doing this. OK, and where to turn if they have problems. And we've, we've got to face that issue. And I don't care what state you're in. It's happening everywhere. Okay. Right. And it's just an issue we have to take care of because you always want your schools to shine, and the more kids we can get to shine, which and these kids are capable of shining, the better the better off we are. Uh, talk about assessments. I'm curious about this one. How are teachers dealing with assessments, which are usually, if I may, in English? How are they doing it? Uh, it. So. <laughs> uh, they're really, they're really not. They're just sort of giving the assessments in in English, and they're not like really. Number one, providing flexible timing, timing for assessments, meaning that students need time 
to process the questions and formulate responses in the language that is not mm. their first. So right. that, that's, that's number one. It's like, okay, you can't just give them 30 minutes to complete this test because, you know, all of that time testing, you know, mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, um, I was going, you, I was you going you to need, say crap, but you can do mumbo-jumbo. Yeah. That's okay. You do need to give them a lot of time to process the information. And then um, in terms of like revising the assessments, uh, allowing the multilinguals to reflect on their assessments and make revisions based on feedback. So if the teacher, you know, gets their test back and, 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 you know, corrects it and gets and says, this is wrong, this is wrong, you know, you should allow the student to look at that and, and make their revisions. That way there's some learning uh, going on. Um, so it just, and, and let them do it in English and in their native language, and it just helps them learn better and develop their language better. If they, if they do it in their native language, let's get off Spanish, <clears throat> which is the typical uh, one that we go, but there's Arabic, Chinese, you can go right down a whole list. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and if they do a test in a foreign language, okay, how is a teacher, just a typical teacher, a good teacher, okay, able to – how are they able to grade it? What's, what's the secret on that end? Well, they can – In other words, can, maybe they, I'm asking – I mean, are we talking about multiple choice tests, essay tests? Uh, yeah, where are we on this? It's hard. It's a hard question. It is hard. Um, so they can get an aid that's bilingual to help them grade the test. Um, there are several translation apps or translation tools that they that's can use point, yeah. to help them to help them, you know, figure out what the student is saying. They can get a <laughs> student aid to to read the student's work and you know help them grade the paper. Um, but there's multiple ways of, of figuring out what the student is trying to say. I mean, we do want to, the main thing is to help the student learn and master English, but we have to help them sort of, you know, be comfortable enough to experiment with English by letting them use both languages in their writing and reading and, and, uh, and who they, you know, their peers, who they're around in the classroom. But there's, you can have an aide do it and an aid that's bilingual if you're not bilingual. Otherwise, if the teacher is bilingual, remember well, that yeah, is one that of the biggest of, things. But they're, but they're bilingual. It's interesting. The teacher may be bilingual, but there might be five languages in their classroom. Uh, and you're, so you're not going to find can, a quin, 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 what's the, what would be the word, quin, quintilingual person. Okay, yeah, teacher, no. It, yeah. No, but you can, you can, you know, like I said, there, you can use aids, you can use translation apps, uh, translation tools. Um, you can diff, give them different options for expressing their learning, like project-based learning. They don't have to do, you know, something academic. Yeah. They can, they can yeah. draw pictures of what they're learning, and right. they can, you know, show. Good point. Yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm curious. I wrote this down as you just answered that question. I wrote down two letters, AI, artificial intelligence. Yes. Okay. And I'm curious over the, and again, this is really starting. Okay. Although the, the experts are so far ahead of us, they're already in outer space, but we're just beginning all this. Okay. How, have you looked at how AI is going to help this? I don't know if you have, but I'm just curious. It seems to me like it helps. It seems to me it's going to help everything else. It might as well help this. Okay. Have you looked at it? 
I have. I've tinkered with it. Um, I you can ask it to translate things for you easily. It'll translate in any language. Um, you can. So if a student gets a test, or you're there, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. okay. So if a student yeah. gets a test, uh, <laughs> I was, let's I was say just being Spanish... quiet for a second. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You go ahead. I'm here. If a Spanish or Arabic teacher gets a test, um, they can ask AI to translate things for them. And it'll translate, and then they can, you know, they can answer the questions. So I tell my students all the time, you know, especially if they're struggling, to use a use ChatGPT, you know, yeah. however way you need to use it to support your to support what you're trying to, you know, do in this class. Um, and it it's not cheating or anything like that. They're no. they're still having to think about what they're responding with, but they just need an aid to help them with you know, what they're, what they're trying to deliver to the teacher. Learning how to use AI is no different than in math class a thousand years ago, learning how to use a calculator. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When calculators first came out, oh, all the math teachers were going nuts. Oh, this is cheating. Yeah. This will never work. But you know, it, it worked just fine. Okay. Because uh-huh. the world changed. Yeah. And it's the same thing with AI. Okay. It's not yeah. cheating because the world is moving in that direction. The kids have understand how to use AI. And if they do have problems with English, they can use the AI as they grow up, even in their jobs, to help them along until perfect in English. Okay? That argument doesn't hold water anymore. Okay? No, Teachers have to understand that. that, that, te- that che- we use, like a good carpenter, use all the tools at your disposal. And my classic Absolutely. joke on that, yeah, there hasn't been ever somebody who said to an employee, want you to make up a marketing plan for next year, clear your desk. No one has right. ever said that in business. Okay? Mm-hmm. You use every tool at your disposal. And that that's that's where this has to go. Okay. This is a this is a sea change, but it makes going to make life easier. Here I am I'm proselytizing here about the AI that that that's not my point. My point is that this this works and every educator has to understand that. But there's another part of it. Okay. And this is important to I think what you do, and that's culturally responsive as a, mm-hmm. a, a teaching, if I may. Okay, culturally responsive curriculum. You know, there's. I'll say it this way: absenteeism is higher than ever in, in American schools. It's terrible right now, and it's across the board. Right, and one of the reasons is a lot of kids just aren't engaged. Now, a lot of it has to do with the pandemic, but they became less, you know, because they got used to being at home. All right. But mm-hmm. if you don't engage kids, okay, and, and especially kids with a foreign language, you know, thinking what the hell's going on here, okay? It's, my point is, where are we, you know, when you talk about culturally responsive, Marianne, okay, and you also wrote in here social-emotional learning, which I, I, I mm-hmm. believe in 100%. Talk about how those things fit into teaching multilingual kids. Well, we we have to, you know, kids – you know, my parents, my parents were immigrants, immigrants from the Middle East, and but I was no, raised and no. grew, grew up here. The one thing about, you know, the school system is that they've got to create, you know, a welcoming classroom environment. Yeah. That, 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 that makes the student feel supported, that included, um, by not making them feel like they are outcasts. Um, so implementing these strategies 
educators can enhance the learning experience and outcomes for all students. Um, cultural awareness and sensitivity, you know, we have to make sure that we are culturally aware as teachers and sensitive to the different, you know, cultures yeah. that come through our classrooms. So uh, educators are encouraged to cultivate cultural awareness in their classroom, you know, putting up pictures of, I put up pictures of different authors yeah. from different cultural backgrounds. Um, and my students are reading, you know, all that information. Yeah. Uh, making sure you have curriculum that's sort of tapping into the different backgrounds of students. Um, that's also helpful. I I remember reading, you know, I think Langston Hughes. And, you know, huh. at one point my students, you know, African and background, they were just eating it. But they, but you know, like reading the the material like crazy, but they weren't reading other, you know, material from like, you know, Latino authors or possibly mm-hmm. yeah, Caucasian yeah. authors. Um, so it just depends on how they relate to what's going on in the classroom. Um, and just making sure that the students feel like you understand diverse cultural backgrounds and perspectives and valuing and respecting their cultural identities um, and just creating sort of this home for them where they feel like they're welcome and inclusive yeah. and feel included. Um, yeah, and yeah. then... Go yeah. ahead. No, you go. Oh, continue. Please. I was just saying yeah. that higher engagement is achieved when students feel connected to the learning. Um, a lack of cr- uh, truly culturally responsive instruction is a barrier to learning. Positive language, you know, just talking to students in a very understanding way is also helpful. Um, incorporating multilingual resources, giving students the resources. Um, in your classroom, like books, materials, media, um, you know, if you're using videos, use videos that are in their language or demonstrating both English and, you know, their language. Um, and then helping them, you know, develop peer relationships with other students similar yeah. to their background yeah. or similar to, you know, or mixing it up, mixing up the group so that there's a mix of students that they can relate to. and Exactly, that the kids that, who speak Arabic are having the same challenges as the kids yeah. who speak Spanish. Yeah, so that's pretty Absolutely. simple. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Where are the Hassos from? You brought up there from the Middle East. Where, where are they from? Where's your family oh, from? My, my parents, actually, they were, they're from Amman, Jordan. I oh, was born no. in Yonkers, New York. So Which is a lot I, like I was, a lot of people compare those to Iman and uh, no, I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that no, and then no. my parents, yeah, and then I was born in Yonkers, New York. I grew up in the elementary school system in Yonkers, um, and then we moved here to California, and it was a whole <laughs> different thing. So yeah, yeah, well, that 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 that's a lot of travel. Okay, from yeah. Iman to New York to California. I like the trek. That's a good. That's a good trek for goodness sakes. Have you been to Oman, yeah. which is supposed to be? I've never been there. It's supposed to be a. Oman? No, I have not. Yeah, um, it's supposed to be really a cool I, place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like uh, yeah, the history and the architecture. Yeah. I haven't been there just because of the way the Middle East is right now. Yeah. I, you know, my parents. I'm very <laughs> sheltered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little tough, but I'll tell you, Mon's supposed yeah. to be absolutely good. It's supposed to be a really cool city, okay, and yes, uh, good, beautiful. good country. Yeah. A lot really of movies neat. have been filmed there. 
Yes. You're, yeah. And so, okay, so we've gone down a list here. I'm just going to ask you one last question here. Of all these things we talked about, what's what to you is the most important as a teacher starts to get multilingual kids into their classroom? What's the first thing they should do, in your opinion? Uh, get to know the students. That is number one. Like develop a rapport with them, and you know, and find out what their interests are. Find out and try to try to sort of relate to that. That's the simplest way to sort of help them stay engaged. Because the more interested you are, the more they know they care. The more, I mean, I I learned this the hard way. You know, I had a student that was, uh, she was struggling in the class, and she was, you know, she was kind of, you know, a little uh, argumentative in some ways sometimes. <laughs> Um, and then I found a way to sort of, I found a way to sort of connect with her, you know. You know, I I told her, I started doing my nails at home. And I noticed that she does her nails too, her own nails, or she has someone. And so I was sort of <laughs> asking her questions about those types of things. And right away, like, she started working. She started being more productive. She started, you know, getting things in. And there was less, you know, less resistance. It, it, so that it, it, is... It, it, yeah, it's it's so darn important. Just build a rapport, get to know the kids. You know, it's just uh, it's nice stuff. Thank you for being here to, with us, Marianne. This is great. I've got everything linked up here so the folks can look at your books over at Roman. How's that sound? Thank you so much. I thank well, you so much kidding, for having me pleasure. on. I really appreciate it, Mr. Jacob. Um, well, you got really first fun. of all, you got to call me Larry. You know, I, I got to tell you, whenever I whenever I work with someone down south, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, uh-huh. the, the, the southern, which I always kid them about, they always call me Sir, Sir. That that's okay. that's okay. a southern thing. That's a southern thing, and it's very polite okay. and, and, and nice. I always said, no, you can't call me that. I'm not a knight. You got to call me Larry. Okay, Larry. So don't call me Mr. Jacobs anymore. You got to call me Larry. Okay, Larry, I will for, I will not forget that. Thank you so much. Well, so I'll say, to make a joke, thank you, Dr. Hasso. It's a pleasure to know you, Mary Marianne. Marianne, but thank you. Yeah, it was, it was a <laughs> thank pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Have, you Thanks. too. Have a great day. You Bye-bye. too. Bye-bye. Well, that was certainly an interesting conversation. What a nice lady. That's Marianne Hasso, H-A-S-S-O. Okay, uh, uh, Dr. Hasso. Okay, in her books, I have Roman and Littlefield connected here. You can look up H-A-S-S-O, Dr. Hasso, as the uh, author, and they'll all come up. This is interesting stuff. Our world is changing, okay, and it's going to be a little easier with AI, I'm convinced. So check it all out. My name is Larry Jacobs. Call me Larry. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Happy President's Day. 